Thank you for joining the Faith Chapel podcast. Wherever you may be joining us, we hope you know you are loved and that this message encourages you. This year marks um, 30 years of me being in uh, full-time ministry, 30 years. And um, yes, I, I, was, I, I got into the ministry when I was about five years old. So, I mean, it's just... It's amazing that they let me have that credentials at five years old. But 30 years of being in ministry, and in those 30 years, I have, I have had my fair share of moments of being with families and friends and people of our church that have gone through life and death situations, situations where people are going through trials or tragedy that has struck their lives. I remember many years ago when we were in Florida on vacation, we had nearly our entire pastoral staff was there, and um, we received this phone call that I will never forget for the rest of my life. It was the last full day that we were in Florida. We were going to fly out the next day, and, and, and the phone call came in, and it said that there was this accident. There was a shooting that took place, and that someone had gotten a gun and, and, and thought that there was a you know, young, young boy and they were just playing and didn't know that it was loaded and turned it on his brother and shot his brother and hit him right in the head. The boy's name was Johnny and he was in, he was in the hospital, he was on life support and we sent the only pastor that was left there and he was with, she was with our, that family and she was ministering and she was giving us daily reports and we got on the plane the next day, we flew to Kansas City, and immediately upon landing, we went to the hospital to get an update to find out what was going on with Johnny's condition, to love on, encourage the family. And we found out that he wasn't doing much better, that his condition hadn't changed. And so we prayed, and we went home and unpacked, and went up the next day, it was a Saturday, and his condition had not changed and we were praying and we were believing God and the next day would be incredibly hard as we would go into the church service and I'd have to inform the church what had taken place. Most of the members in the church knew something that was going on because it was in the news and in fact they were running updates and the, the noon news, the five o'clock news, the evening news and and as we gathered that day in the, the sanctuary, I remember people from the news outlets were present and we began, to, we began to just call the church to a time of prayer. I told them the story that, was going, that had gone on because there were so many falsities that were being shared in the news outlets. So we gave them the, the real truth of what had happened and then we challenged the church to come together for prayer. And the church began to pray, and, and I remember that day so vividly that the presence of the Lord filled that entire congregation. The room was filled from front to back, from left to right. It was absolutely unbelievable as we were praying. There wasn't a single person that left there that day that had not felt like they were in God's full presence. It just gave us... a a jolt of faith that God was going to move, that God was going to heal this young man, this accident that had occurred. I mean, this was, a, this was you know, a good family. All of their children went to our Christian school. Janie, the mother, she was a part of my 
Sunday school class, and, and she was just hospitable and friendly and warm, and she took care of all the things that happened in my class, and as our class continued to grow, she was like my right-hand person, person, right? Not guy, because she's not a guy. And just an just incredible servant of God. She sung on our worship team, her and Michael, her husband, were in the choir, on and on and on we could go and talk about their church involvement and how well they were known in the church, how deeply loved they were in the church. And that day after we prayed, we just had this, we just had this belief that God was moving. He was in the room. It was so real that God was going to bring healing. And we had prayed for absolute healing to come to John. Went to the hospital on that Sunday and when I got there, Janie was smiling. She said, the doctor said that there was some change and we're not sure yet if, if it's for the good, but we're receiving it as though it's good. And I said, that's the exact moment that we were praying for you in the service. And, and so our faith was even taken to a whole nother place. And we were, yes, God is truly at work. And God's going to bring a healing. When the doctors are saying that's impossible, the Lord's going to show up. He has the final word. He's the healer. This is going to happen. On Monday, went to the hospital. Said, Pastor, things have gotten worse. On Tuesday morning when I walked to the hospital, or when I got to the hospital, I walked up into the floor they were on and I was met by a team of doctors. They said, you're the family's pastor, correct? I said, yeah, I'm the pastor. Can we talk to you for a minute before you go in and see the family? I said, okay. They took me into this private room and they said, um, all the tests that we run indicate that there's no life in Johnny." That he's only being, his only, you know, his only life is from the machines that he's hooked up to. And, and that we, we would like for you to help us talk to the family about having Johnny's organs donated. We don't know how you feel about that, but would you at least be in the room with us? We think that they would want you there. That's sure. We stepped out of the room. We went into where Johnny was. And we prayed. And then the doctors came in and said, can we talk to the family? Pastor, would you join us? And we went into this private room and they laid out what organ doning looked like. We walked out of, I walked out of that hospital that day and I was asking God a lot of questions. This is an accident. It's an innocent little boy. What's gonna happen to his world? What's gonna happen to this family? What's gonna happen to their faith? What's gonna happen to their future? God, why didn't you bring healing? You were in the room. We felt your presence. Why, God, Why? If you're all powerful, and that's the question, isn't it? I mean, if you're all powerful and you can do anything, why don't you just step in? Why don't you just intervene in the moments where we need you the most? Why are you seemingly gone? I mean, if you're a God that loves us, then, then why don't you show your love in this way? This is something you could have done. This would, this would change everything. And I got in the car and I remember hitting the steering wheel. And I was mad at God. And I was asking the question that a lot of you have asked when you've been in that same situation. 
Why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why? Why? It just doesn't make sense. And in this series that we're in, TBH, to be honest, if you're not in the text lingo, we're gonna look at some real life issues that are surrounding us in our world today, and we're gonna look at them through a different lens, not the lens that was passed down to you, not the lens that your grandmother or grandfather gave you, not the lens of the church of old that gave you. We're going to look at it through a biblical lens, and we're gonna look at it in such a way that we're just gonna strip away everything else, and we're gonna look at fresh and anew some of these topics that, that have, quite honestly, God has been attributed to some of these things that aren't really factual or true. And so I'm just praying that as we go through this season together that, that you would allow your hearts to be open and, and even if you leave and we're in disagreement that we can be mature enough to stay in fellowship together. But I don't think it's right for the church to let some of these things go. But you've asked the same questions, haven't you? You've had things happen in your life where you've said, God, why, why? I mean, if I were God, there's many times where I've walked out of a hospital, I'm like, God, if I were you, I would have just done it this way. I mean, don't you know that they have some family members that are struggling? Don't you know that there's some wayward family members that if you would just do a miracle and they would see your hand at work, that that would be a sign and that they would come back to you and they would be in church. Why? Why don't you just do that? I mean, if you're all powerful, you're all knowing, why don't you just move on our behalf? You know, Job asked the same question. It's interesting because Job, he's going through, and some of you know the story that bears his name, the book that bears his name. You know that story. You know that, you know, he, he's righteous, and, and here's Satan running to and fro the earth, and God says, well, what about my servant Job? And he says, okay, and he kind of puts Job in, his, you know, in, the, in, in the crosshairs, and he goes down, and he begins to bring all these afflictions upon Job. And Job gets to the point because he's losing everything. He lost his entire family, he lost all of his crops, he lost it all. And he gets to this point and he says, why did I not perish at birth? Why? If all this was going to happen, why didn't you just kill me from the very beginning? Why are you making me go through all this pain? Why are you making me go through all this torture? Why are you making me go through all this calamity in my life? Why are you forcing me to do this? It would have been far better if I would have just died when I was born. I should have just perished at birth. Some of you have probably even felt that way in the room. It would have just been better, God, if I would have never even been born. The reason why I bring this up in Job's life is because I think it puts us in good company. That if you've ever asked that question, then, then Job asks the same question. And, and if you know the end of the story, the Bible says that God gave Job back everything twofold. And he gave it to him in such a way just that, that he began to begin to look at his life in a completely different way. But when he was in the moment, just like when you and I are in the moment, we ask that same question. We ask the why question. And can I just tell you that God's big enough to take the why questions? It's okay. Now, in 30 years of doing this, I can tell you this, that very rarely has God ever answered that question in anybody's life that I know or even in mine. But God's big enough to take the why question, and I don't think it's wrong to ask the why question, but here's what's wrong. It's wrong when you demand that God answers the why question. And that's what I was doing that day in the car. I felt like I deserved an answer. 
this was accidental. This wasn't right. What am I going to tell the pastor? What are we going to say at the funeral? As I hit that steering wheel over and over again in that car that day, and I pleaded with God, I said, you have the last word. He's still hooked up to those machines inside that hospital. You can bring healing right now to his body. Just do it now. When no one's around, you'll receive all the glory. Why not? But it never happened. I was demanding that God answer the why question. I think that's where we go wrong. By the way, Job did the same thing in Job 13, 22, 19, 7, 31, 15. Because here's what I believe. I believe that our adversary, the devil, does more damage due to a lack of understanding on this subject maybe than any other subject in the Bible. Here's why. Because it causes us to demand answers from God and it makes God the enemy of our situation. Can I just remind you that God is not your enemy this morning. He's not the enemy of your situation because he didn't act or seemingly didn't act or he didn't act in a way that we thought was best. That doesn't make God our enemy. It, all it does is the enemy comes in, our accuser of the brethren and sistren, if you could say it that way. The accuser of the brethren, the saints, he comes in and he gets us to ask questions. In fact, many times, he gets us to ask the wrong questions in our situations. He was saying those things to me when I walked out of the hospital that day. How can you ever preach on faith again. You're a pastor. You're supposed to be the man of God. You're the one that has this great healing testimony, but how will you ever pray for anyone else for healing? How can you stand up in front of your church next week when you prayed so boldly for him to be healed and nothing happened? Where was God? How can you ever believe God for miracles again? That's what the accuser of the brother does, doesn't he? He floods our mind with all of these questions. He changes the narrative, he changes the dialogue. He takes our circumstances and he turns them against God. And it's amazing that when he does this is that God is our only real source of compassion, our really own, our own source for, for peace. Here's what I've learned. See, I believe that this affects every single person in this room because you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, about to go into a trial, right? So whatever you've gone through or whatever you're going through or whatever you will go through, this is helpful to you. And some of you, you've lost a child. You know what that's like? You've been a part of broken relationships. A divorce has occurred in your life or sickness or, or disease is maybe you're dealing with it even right now. Maybe there's been an untimely death that has brought grief into your life. Christians being persecuted around the world. Why? Made worse that they become even martyrs. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And all these questions, and all these questions, which many times Satan uses to create a faulty perception of who God is, turns the hurting away from the one who's the healer. And when you're hurting, I've learned you don't really need a theological answer to your question anyway. So many times I've, I've heard in churches where they've preached, where we just sweep it across this theological broom and we get it out and we sweep it under the rug. We say, well, it's the sovereignty of God. His ways are higher than, anybody heard this? 
His ways are higher than our, our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we just sweep it under that theological sovereignty of God rug and we leave it there. But the problem with that is that theology only helps our minds. It doesn't heal the brokenhearted. That day when I walked in the hospital, I could talk about how this is, we all have a free will and, and God, God wasn't a part of what happened, that, that there was a free will act that took place. Or I could have talked about how in Genesis chapter three and verse 17, how there's a curse that came upon all the world and everyone that lives in it because of sin that entered in through Adam and Eve. And so this is just, this is just the plight of humanity. It gets worse and worse and worse until Jesus finally comes back for his church. So we just hold on until the end. It's all true. It doesn't heal a hurting heart. When people are going through hardship like this, when people are going through calamity like this, they need something more than just a theological discussion. I'm not trying to speak disparagingly over anyone that's in this room if you're going through something, and I'm not trying to trivialize any of your pain if you're here this morning. My desire is to help bring, with God's help, hopefully just a little bit of understanding. St. Augustine, he wrote City of God. It was written during a very tumultuous time when there was great suffering that was occurring in Rome. In fact, barbarians came in and they pillaged the entire city. They raped children and women. and It was, it was horrific. And he came to this conclusion. He says this, that Christians differ from pagans not in the ills that befall them, but what they do with the ills that befall them. There's a big difference. He's saying they, as Christians, they have to go through the exact same trials of life that everyone else goes through, but the big difference that he observed is what they do with the ills when they come. Remember Job's life? When Job stopped asking the why question, and he really began to turn his attention more on God, not those that, that not his wife who said, why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> Not his friends who came and, and instead of bringing comfort, they brought, you know, they brought even greater hardship. And when he really began to ask, stop asking the why questions, he began to turn his attention to God. He says this in Job 13, 15, though God may kill me, I will trust him. Though God may kill me, I will trust him. I'm gonna to continue to trust God. He's still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's still the God that's supreme. He's still the one who reigns upon the throne. He's still my deliverer. He's still my savior. And I don't have it all figured out. And he may kill me himself. But this one thing I know, that there is no other gods and I'm not gonna worship any of that. I'm gonna keep holding on and I'm gonna keep trusting and I'm gonna keep trusting in the one true God that I know. There was a change. Do you get that? There was a perspective that ain't changed that took place. And every time I walked into that hospital room, all those days, there was Janie. There was music that was being played. It was praise music. And sometimes she was singing to little Johnny. Sometimes she would just have her hands raised. Sometimes tears would be streaming down her face. And sometimes I would just walk in and start singing along with her. And she would smile. We would just worship for a while before we prayed. And I got caught up on what the latest the doctors were saying. I believe there is power in praise. I believe that praise is a, is a tool, it is a weapon against the enemy, amen. amen. But instead of the why questions, maybe we should ask a different question. What do I do when bad things happen to me? Just by a show of hands, how many of you would say that you've had something bad happen to you? 
oh, so we're just like in the times of Rome. Ills are gonna befall us. The question isn't whether they're gonna befall us. The question is what are we going to do when the ills befall us? And maybe it's the wrong question to ask why, because God doesn't seemingly even answer that question. Maybe we should say, what do we do when bad things happen to me? The great thinker and author C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone. He went on to say that God is not committed to our comfort here and now, he's committed to our perfection then and there. Could, could it be in some of our afflictions, not all, but in some of our afflictions, that God is doing something far greater than we could ever realize, maybe even something eternal. I wasn't gonna use this, but I, I wanna share this. This is, I wasn't gonna, it's not my notes. But this thought came to me. Can I share a thought with you? <laughs> that wasn't very overwhelming, but I'll do it anyway. You know, God is omnipresent, meaning he can be present everywhere all at one time. He never has to move to be there. But Satan is not omnipresent. He can only be at one place at one time. And I was looking at this book in a much greater, you know, panning out, looking at it in a much greater narrative, and it caused me to think about it in these terms, that, that what if, that what if, and it's a, it's a what if, it's an eisegesis, not an exegesis. Some of you know scripture, you understand or study of scripture. I'm, I'm adding to, I'm putting my stamp on it here. But, but, what, but what if then this Satan that's going to and fro the earth and, and, he's, and he's, he's the accuser of the brand. He's coming up to God, he's saying, Brian's messing up. God says, yeah, I know, I see it. And he'll get, Pastor Joseph, he's messing up too. He says, I, I saw it, I saw it. And his wife, Ashley, have you seen what she's done? Oh my gosh. Unbelievable. God says, yeah, I know, I saw it. What a godly husband to forgive her those things, amen. She's done nothing. This is just an illustration. And I think God looked down on the earth and he think he saw my life and he said, you know, I don't think Brian can handle a direct assault from this Satan. And if I let the Satan go back to earth, he may, he may do something to Brian that will cause him to lose out, will cause him to lose faith, and maybe cause him to Satan, come here. Have you considered my servant, Job? Job, Satan goes, no. I mean, you got a hedge around him. He's, he said, well, there's none not righteous. I'll remove the hedge of safety. Once you have your way with him, God, knowing the end from the beginning, knows that Job is not going to deny him of faith. And and I'm so grateful that there's people like Job out there that keep the enemy from coming against me. I really believe that. I believe that when Job stood before God, that God was able to show him that your suffering was not in vain. That while I knew that you would stay true, while I knew that you were strong enough, while I knew that you had the kind of faith, there were other people that were, that were earmarked by the enemy and that he was going to come against them and they weren't as strong as you. And so, Job, you persevered to the end and welcome, welcome. But because of you, look at how many people were also, their lives were spared for eternity. So we don't know how God uses afflictions but I do know that God uses our problems in our lives. Let me just give you five quick things and I'll 
stay till the end. If you don't stay to the end, you'll miss the inspiration. Best part, in other words. How does God use our problems? Here's how God uses our problems. It's okay, we just have a conversation. Not too preachy, too teachy, right? We're just a conversation, me and you. Okay. God uses our problems in this way. Number one, he uses problems in life sometimes to direct me. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 30, it says this, that sometimes I take, uh, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Most of the time, we won't change our behavior. We won't change the direction we're going. We won't go in a different direction. We won't even focus on our life, and we won't clean up the things that we've become, you know, the things that are in our lives that, that we've grown as acceptable that may not be acceptable in God's eyes. We've just kind of said, well, this is how, and I've heard this over and over again, even as a pastor, that this is just how I am. This is how I'm wired. This is how I'm meant to be. And so that gives us some excuse for doing some of the things that we do. I believe that God allows sometimes, he allows these painful experiences to come in our life because painful experiences is sometimes the motivating factor in changing our behavior. Number two, I think God uses problems in our life to inspect me. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way through the wilderness these 40 years? Why did he do that? Why did he run them through the troubles and the trials and the tribulation? He says, to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. We, we don't like it when we're tested or we're inspected. But I think the Lord has something far greater for us. And he says, I'm gonna send you through a test to see if you pass the test so that once you get through the test, that, that I know where your heart is and I know where you are, that I can, I can give you something greater. I can move you into something better. Isaiah 48, 10 says it this way. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. See, most people don't have these kind of conversations in church. Because this isn't yay and amen kind of stuff, is it? I mean, there's no, if I said, hey, at the end of the service, if you go right out this door, there's going to be the furnace of affliction. But when you get through it, you're going to be far better. You're going to be refined. You're going to be like pure silver. It's going to be better for you. So just right there's the door. I, how many of you know you wouldn't have to stand in line long? Right? But yet scripture says count it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials of any kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must want, run its work in you so that you'll be mature, complete, not lacking anything. If we want to be mature and we want to be complete and we want... If we want to be a person that lacks nothing, that we're able to stand the trials and the tribulations of life, if we want to keep growing in our relationship with God, then it might require us to go through the trials of life. Remember, the ills that befall us, it's what we do with them. God uses the problems, number three, to correct us. I love how the psalmist said in Psalm 119, my suffering was good for me, said by nobody ever in the modern day church. Right? Pastor, I just went through this incredible season in my life and it was so good for me. My, my suffering was good for me. Why? For it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. It brought me back to the foundation of what life really is. Problems in my life, number four, protect me. 
Listen to what Peter says. For it is better, if it is God's will, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. He said, if it's God's will, you're gonna go through some intended things in your life, but it's better to go through it if it's God's will than if you don't because you're just evil. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. You know the story of Joseph. They sold him into slavery, into a pit, then he got sold into slavery with Potiphar, and then he got put into prison, and then finally he's made the number two man in charge, and his brothers come back. They didn't recognize him at first, and then he divulges who he is, and then there's that famous line, you meant it for evil, but my God meant it for good and for the saving of many lives, which is now being done, right? His whole life was one big trial. He could have said, why? You know what's so amazing about Joseph's life is that he never questioned God. In all the things that he went through, even though he was the chosen child, even though he's the coat of many colors kid, even though he's the preferred kid, even though he's the one with the covenant of anointing upon him, even, if he was, even though he was the one that God's hand was on, when he started going through all those hardships, we don't read in any of the passages of scripture, we don't read where he goes, God, why? I'm the chosen one, not my brothers. I'm the one your hand is on. Why am I going? He doesn't ask that, not one time. He maintains a positive attitude. He keeps serving. He keeps doing the best and using the gifts and his abilities wherever God has placed him. And he just recognizes that I'm in God's hands and God is going to do with me what he wants. What a great attitude. And if God uses my life and he exposes and he, and he expires my life for, the, for a greater cause, then so be it. But I am doing the work of God. I'm just going to keep doing the work wherever I am placed. What a great attitude. Look in number five, last one. Sometimes God uses these problems or these things in our lives to perfect us. Paul says to the Roman church, he says, we also glory in our suffering because he, we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Why do we go through perseverance? Why do we go through trials? What do we go through? What is he working on? What is he trying to perfect in our life? What's he trying to build inside of us? Perseverance, character, and hope. It goes on to say, and then you have this hope, and this hope does not disappoint you, for it's found in the one of Jesus Christ, who's revealed to you by your spirit. You know Job's life. So I've already I talked to you about how Job, he, he stopped asking the why question, and he began to kind of get this change of perspective. And God begins to do some things in his life, and these he begins to get everything back in twofold, right? He begins to get everything back in double portion. Gave him this double blessing. You know, double the amount of calves that he had, double the amount of livestock, double the amount of it, double his wives. He didn't pray for that, but God gave it to him anyway. He got double of everything. Amen. It was a blessing, double blessing. And I believe that when Job was processing all of this and he was looking back over everything that happened, I believe he got a bigger glimpse of who God really was. So how, 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 do you, how do you know this? Let me end with this. The last chapter, just honest dialogue, no fancy preaching today. Is that okay? Just, just kind of rolling it out here. Not my style, but just rolling it out here. 
But at the end of the chapter, and guys, you can come on up for the worship team. But he, at the end of the chapter, he begins, to, he begins to reflect about everything that God has done. And it says in the book, it says, and as God was providing for him and blessing him, he had seven sons. And he had three daughters, and here are their names. And I go, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. In the day and age in which we live, in the culture that they were writing in, in, in this, in this you know, cult and civilization, it was male-driven. It was the firstborn son that was the most important or, or the highest seat of honor. Like, that's why when you look in the, in the, in the Old Testament, it was always, well, this guy, he back at this guy, and he had this guy, and it's always the, the firstborn son, and it's always the guys that they, right? And, and we, there's never hardly a list of women that are in there. And he says, so I'm like, why? why? Why is this in Scripture? Why do we know the seven sons, not their names, but we know the three daughters? So I began to check this out. And the first daughter that he had, now originally he's getting everything back, God's blessing him, he's fruitful, he's multiplying, God's doing some great things now and he has this new perspective and he has a daughter. Anybody have daughters out there? Lucky. And, uh, <laughs> and he has, he's holding his first daughter after he'd lost his other children. And he said, I know what I'm gonna name her, Gemini. Jemima, maybe some people say it called that. And it literally means dove, but in the expanded Hebrew usage of that term, you know what it really means? New day, new season. And, and I, I, think that, I think that Job had this daughter, and he said, new season, new day, come here. It was a reminder to him that, that every time he called her name, that he had gotten through the darkness and he is now in a new season and it's a new day. That there was a new day that was upon him. It was a day that God had not forsaken him. It was a new season where God's faithfulness had shown itself. It was a new season where God had brought everything back in twofold. That God was the God of his word. That God caused him to prosper. That God was with him. That God had never left his side. That God was with him all along, even through every one of those trials. And even though his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? And even when his own family and his own friends said, there has to be sin in your life. Otherwise, all this calamity wouldn't have come upon you. And he said, it's not true. I'm holding on to God. He has that daughter and he says, new season, new day. It's a new season, new day. What a reminder. He has a second daughter. Her name is Keziah. means cinnamon. But again, in the usage of that term, it's the cinnamon that's used to produce the anointing oil. New season, new day, new anointing. That second daughter, he says, come here new anointing. I'm in a new season and I'm in a new day and I have a, a new anointing. There's a new season that's here. There's a new day that's approaching and there is a new anointing that is upon my life. Then he has a third daughter. I think this is why the names are there. You with me so far? And she's got this really long name, Karen Hapuk. That's her name, Karen Hapuk. You know what it means? Black eyeshadow. It literally means cosmetics. Now, I've never worn black eyeshadow. In fact, I've never worn eyeshadow of any color. And some of you are going, thank God. <laughs> but ladies, if I'm not mistaken, I've been to enough makeup counters with my mom and the whole thing. When you put that 
makeup all around your eye and it enlarges your eye. It gives beauty to it. It springs for something that's new that wasn't there before, right? By the way, there's a scripture for you right there. If you need to paint the barn, ladies paint the barn. It's okay, it's right there, it's right there. That was mean, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Here's what Job said about it. In Job 42, five, he said, my ears, or my ears, I had heard you. One version says, I had heard of you. But now, my eyes have seen you. Listen to me. Job gets through on the other side and he's got this reflective mode going on. When he has these three daughters, we normally don't see that in scripture and we know their names and their names. He says, here's a new season, a new day. Here's a new anointing. And here is a fresh revelation. I can see you now. I heard about you. I heard you before in my ear. I heard you all these years, but now I have seen you. I have revelation. I have a new season. I have a new anointing. I have a new revelation. I have, I'm in a new season. I have a new anointing and I have a new revelation. And some of you this morning, you need to get into a new season and you need to realize your new season's coming and that there'll be a new anointing there waiting for you that'll pick you up and where God will show his faithfulness to you and that you'll have a brand new revelation of God like you've never had before and that you'll see God for who he really is. And he's not the God who doesn't answer the why questions, but he's the God that gets you through the why questions. He's the God that's with you, that he's never leaves you nor forsakes you. That's the God that you'll find. He's the God of a new season, a new anointing, and a new revelation that he wants to bring into your life. And that's what happens. When we stay faithful to God and we say we are not gonna give up and we make sure that we cling to hope and we serve a God of hope. And we say, God, I don't understand. And I did not understand that day. And Janie and Michael did not understand that day. And we had the service in the church and it was packed out. And there were tears flowing from everybody's eyes. And I still got up in there and I said, I don't know why this happened. This doesn't make sense. It's a young boy, he had all of his life in front of him. I don't know why. I don't have anything to tell you. I want to, I'm your pastor, I wanna have something to be able to share with you, but I don't have anything to share with you. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. But I do know a God. I do know my God is faithful. See, there's a God that wants to bring you through your trial and get you to a place where you'll see God in a brand new way. And see, here's what I know. Some of you are holding on to hope. You're just barely holding on this morning. I'm trying to tell you, there's a new season, there's a new day, there's a new anointing, there's a new revelation coming for you. Don't give up. Some of you are coming out and you're starting to see it clearly for the first time. Some of you are just moving into it and you're going, God, why? Why? Go ahead and ask God why. Maybe he'll answer, I don't know. He's big enough. But what I do know is this, is if you'll just keep holding on 
that your new season, your new day, your new anointing, your new revelation's coming. How many believe that? Huh? It's coming. It's coming. I want to pray with you that are in this room, but you're saying, I'm, I'm smack dab in the middle of something. Would you just stand? I don't do it to embarrass you. I do it because I believe God's here. And maybe you're the one that got the most out of this message and maybe it was just for you. It's not for everybody, I get it. But I wanna pray for you this morning. And if you don't mind, if you're standing, would you allow some people to come around you? Would you just get around? Some of you might have to move, not to walk across the aisle, but just get around. Just put your hand upon them. You don't have to share a word, God knows. Sometimes when we can't feel God's presence, it's just good to feel somebody standing alongside us in prayer. Now, can you just all stretch your hands towards somebody that's closest to you? Can we just all pray together? Father, in the mighty and the precious and powerful name of Jesus, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you, God, for opening up avenues of doors of understanding and blessing into our lives. And Lord, but I also want to thank you for the trials and the tribulation. It brings us back to you. It brings us back to your word. It brings us back to saving haven. It shows us the error of our ways. It shows us how far we've wandered off. And Lord, when we are in the middle of the battle, sometimes we don't understand and sometimes we're prone to give up or we want to quit or sometimes we think we're doing it all by ourselves. Lord, we're not. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Everyone has gone through something. But I pray this morning, Lord, to those who are standing, my prayer for them is, Lord, that you'd give them perseverance. God, that you would give them strength. That you would give them peace that transcends all understanding. That you would allow your spirit to come, God, even now, and let them receive fresh nourishment, God, from heaven. Strengthen them in their inner man, Father, right now. God, if possible, I pray against any demonic spirit or anything that may be warring against them, and I push back the forces of darkness. I bind them in Jesus' name as you taught us to pray. And I loose the Holy Spirit of God into their life. And I pray, God, that you would shut doors that no man could shut, and you'd open doors that no man could open. I pray, oh God, that if it's possible, you would remove the obstacles that are there, that you would help them, Father, to walk in freedom. But Lord, if that's not your lot for them, Lord, would you give them the strength to endure it? And God, would you give them the hope that's just around the corner? That the God of hope and this hope does not disappoint us. This God who allows us to see through the prism of our pain, the potential of our promises that you've given us. God, there's a new season. There's a new day. There's a new anointing. There's a new revelation that's coming. And I speak that over every person that's standing in this room today. And I ask, oh God, for you to undergird them by your righteous right hand. And God, I ask it in Jesus' name. Now, if you're here, just two more minutes, you're here, head bowed, eyes are closed, please. And you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you need Jesus. Maybe you need to come back to God. Maybe you don't know God. Today's the day, right now is your moment. I'm gonna ask you when I count to three, would you put your hand up all over this building? I wanna pray for you. One, come on, without hesitation. Two, are you ready? Come on, put it up right away and say, I need Jesus in my life. I'm not serving God. I don't have Christ in my life. I'm not sure I'd spend eternity. That's I'm talking to you this morning. Come on, 
Ready, one, two, right now, three, put it up right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on. All of us to say this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm making you my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for your love for me. From this moment on, I choose to live for you in all I say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we all stand and just give the Lord a praise this morning? Come on. Come on. How many of you learned something this morning? Huh? Every message isn't like this message. In fact, this was supposed to be the third message in this series, but God had me move it up to today. And I really feel like there's some people here that needed to hear what was being said. I don't say this in any way to brag or anything. Because Look, I could probably preach it way better if I did it a second time, but let me just say it this way. Today's not your typical Sunday morning, let's get everybody excited message. It's a little meaty. But that's okay, isn't it? I mean, sometimes we need to come in and we need to feast and we just sit down and we need to have a meal. Because you're either going through a trial, you're about to go through a trial, you're just coming out of one. Because that's life. And my hope and my prayer is, is that when you begin to go through it, you'll look back on the life of Job. You look back on some things that were said here. God will bring them back to your remembrance and it will help you to understand that God's still with me. He hasn't left me. God loves you. How many of you know God loves you, right? God loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. Next week, we're going to deal with a topic that uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. And, but we're going to deal with what's the Bible say about sexuality? I want you to come with an open heart and an open mind. We're going to push back all the things that are being said in the media, everything that's being said, maybe in our schools, things that we're reading. We're going to push back the things that have been preached in the past. We're going to push back on all those things, and we're just going to go to this. This is our all-encompassing rule for faith and conduct. Amen? And so we're just going to come back to see what God's Word says, not what someone's interpretation is, what God's Word says. So how many of you still love me at the end of the day? Right next week? All right. Thank you. I just believe that it's time for the church to speak out against some of these things and to let people know exactly what his word says about it. And then it's up to you to make your choices as you stand before God. We're gonna deal with this very difficult subject next week and I want you to be present, all right? You bring somebody to be here, all right? Father, bless your church. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. Send us out, Father, I pray, to be a light and example of faith throughout this entire week. And I pray you bring us back safely next week to do your work. Found to learn from your to learn from your word again in Jesus' name, Amen. Love you. God bless you. Have a good day. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you hadn't already, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to further connect with us here at Faith Chapel, visit us online at faithchapelsd.com or on any social media platform at Faith Chapel SD. We hope to see you real soon.